Uh, one thing I want to clear up before we get started, I did not send Ben a snap this morning to let him know <laughs> what I was wearing so we could be twinning today, all right? All right. We just, we, we're just one mind or so, I don't know, I don't know, it's dangerous, whatever it is. Um, so we're week three of our Galatians series, Live Free or Die. If you haven't been here before, I'd encourage you to go back to rccsalem.com. You can listen to the previous recordings, get um, any kind of um, notes that we've got that are um, according to these, um, that tie in with these messages. Um, so I think you all know, I see some of you already have it in your hands. We're going to be in Galatians 3. You are welcome to take your phone out. We are technology Pro, pro technology here. Um, we all have devices, I think most of us, and some of us have two. Maybe for work you've got two devices. Um, devices are everywhere. They're for information, they're for communication, more and more for entertainment. Um, and I don't really watch much television myself. Uh, that's kind of not my thing. I'm more of like a, a YouTube um, freak. But I, I really um, have been following for a long time uh, The Walking Dead. And uh, yeah, when I told Ben the first time, I think he spit out his Diet Coke. Um, But I love The Walking Dead, right? It's a little slow right now if you actually watch it. It's a little slow right now. Um, But in case you don't watch it, I'm going to give you the nine seasons in about 30 seconds. Zombies show up. People don't like zombies, okay? (laughs) They don't. Uh, I think for good reason. They don't like zombies. And so um, they're afraid of zombies for like two and a half seasons. But they figure out that zombies really have a few very simple stimuli that, that draw them. Um, they're drawn to um, light, to like fire explosions, to different smells. And so they're like, oh, well, we just avoid those things and we don't have to worry about them anymore. The next seven seasons is them being afraid of people because they realize, oh, there are other people still living and they're not nice people. Um, so they have to deal with that for the next seven seasons. And now we're in season nine, and it's really slow. And this new foe just showed up called the Whisperers, all right? And they are people who disguise themselves to look like the dead. And they walk with the dead, and they act like the dead. Uh, But somehow they can also direct the dead. They've got these herds of zombies, and they can be in the zombies and direct them to different places. And so now the, the, the living were afraid of the dead, and then they weren't. And then they were afraid of the living, which they kind of still are. But now they're afraid of the dead again, right? Yes, it's really confusing. So these people have masked themselves with death, though they are living, to disguise their true um, identity. So I think this pulls us into Galatians. Wait for it. Wait for it, okay? I'm going to put it together in just a second here. All right, so Paul in Galatians, we are in Galatians 3. You're welcome to turn to that. Paul in Galatians 3 is going to tell us how Jesus Christ um, can make our identity like his, by being clothed in his identity. All right, and so he is trying to show us through all this that freedom can be found when our identity is in Jesus Christ and not in the things that are temporary of this world. So let's look at this. It'll be on the screen as well if you don't have the Bible in front of you there. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Neither There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Adam's seed and heirs according to the purpose. All right, there's a lot in there, 
But what I think our big takeaway from this week is, for week three, is that your identity, the identity that we have in Jesus Christ, gives us freedom beyond how the world would define us. All right, I'll say that again. I think the, the identity we have in Jesus gives us freedom beyond how the world would define us. And just as a bit of a history lesson, um, Paul was a church planter. He was a preacher. And in this book, he's writing to the Galatian church. The, it's Galatian. It's a, a Christian church like we are. But it's in Galatia, which is a Greek providence of the Roman Empire. And as Ben has said the last couple of weeks, it's heavily influenced by traditional Judaism. So that's like this big soup of identity crisis, right? It's all these things coming in at one point. And Paul is trying to say, hey, just remember what you were taught before. Just remember what you were given Right. So speaking in this situation, Paul reminds us, as, as Ben again has said in the last few weeks, there's no checklist. Like the, orig- the Jews said, well, there are these 600 plus laws. If you can check all those off, then you're holy, you're right with God. But then after Jesus came, they were saying the same thing. There are these more than 600 laws. If you can just check them off, you'll be right with God. No worries. In fact, we have in the English Bible, 67 verses of him saying, no, 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 no. No, enjoy the freedom, enjoy the grace that you have been given through Jesus Christ. So now we see Paul pull back from that after 67 verses-ish to talk about this. And and let me just read these few passages one more time. Uh, Chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In this life, we all wear titles of some kind. We all wear things that describe us. Here are a few of mine. Son, brother, preacher's kid, band geek, uh, college, Christian college student, boyfriend, fiance, husband, grad student, dad, worship minister, and you might add to that white, middle-class male, I don't know. Um, And those things all describe me as a person, but not me, me, right? Because I think we all know that we're more than just the, the titles that we get. And I think a lot of my life was, I was comfortable, though maybe empty ultimately, living with these descriptions, you know, living in this in-between, kind of letting these things di- identify myself. But, but the thing is, by most standards, I had a really good existence, right? I didn't ever hit rock bottom. I didn't ever have some kind of an existential moment where um, I knew that I had to turn around and, and be different, I suppose. Right? There was no moment like that. But, but, but between these things are a handful of other descriptors, and these are insecurity, Striving for worth, desiring acceptance, wanting approval, questioning my salvation, right? So those are between how we would be defined by the world. But people don't see those things. They come out as frustration. They come out as sadness. They come out as bouts of of anger or depression, maybe. And I, I hope this is maybe identifying, you know, some people are identifying with this that we've got these descriptions about us that aren't us, but somehow also define who we are and how we function. 
And we have this desire, especially in the American culture, to never drop the ball, to always be there, to pick up the pieces when something crashes, you know, to be there with the answer, the right answer. And I think at some point in my 30s, I'm, I'm still in my 30s at this point, but um, when I was about 33 years old, I was in ministry at North Carolina, and I met my friend Andrew Gibbon, who might be watching on Facebook. Hey, Andrew. Um, we we decided we wanted to start a Celebrate Recovery program at our last ministry, at my last ministry, and we knew that if we wanted to be on the you know, nationally recognized, that we needed to um, go through training. So we went to the first East Coast Conference of Celebrate Recovery, and we went down to Orlando, but before that we went through the step study books. He'd already been through them a couple times. It was new for me, and there are these series of four books um, Celebrate Recovery is based on the 12-step system, you know, 12-step um, plan like AA or something like that. But then they tie in the Bible with eight principles that go along through, and you work through four of these books in a step study with a sponsor or something like that. And one of them really hit me. One of the prayers that go through here in the first principle hit me. I'd like to read it for you right now. Dear God, your word tells me that I can't heal my hurts, habits, uh, hang-ups, and habits by just saying they're not there. Help me. Parts of my life or all of my life are out of control. I know that I <clears throat> cannot fix myself. It seems the harder I try to do the right thing, the more I struggle. Lord, I want to step out of my denial into truth. I pray for you to show me the way. In your son's name I pray. Amen. And I think at that moment that I read it, which is this is early, it's the first book of the four, something first clicked in my heart and then clicked in my mind, right? I, I think I had some kind of an awakening that for 33 years up to that point, I had been painting over parts of my life that I didn't want to think about uh, so I could maybe look more like Jesus, but not really living in the freedom that I had already been given, like I said, there's no crazy story of my life. There's, there's no kind of a right, right up to the edge, making a decision moment. But there's something in the simple prayer that helped me re realize that there was a change that I needed to have in my life, in my heart. And, and I think this is where Galatians comes into play. And Paul's very specific about the words he uses. And it was written um, in Greek in the first century. And sometimes when we get that Greek pulled into English, it's not a one-for-one. One. It doesn't always make sense the way you would expect it to. And so he uses this term, uh, specifically we see this in verse 27. Um, verse 27, we read, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ. See, clothed yourself is not really a, a metaphor um, easy to understand today. But it is literally, I mean, when you look at it in contemporary um, writings, it means to put a cloak on. It's quite literal. And so he says, clothe yourselves in Christ. And I think we're a lot like the whisperers from The Walking Dead. right? We, we somehow clothe ourselves in the titles that make sense to this world, whether those are son, professional, father, athlete, whatever those might be. And so we, we look living from the inside, but somehow from, or from the outside, but from the inside we're somehow dead. We're not living in a freedom that we could be living. And we're choosing to be clothed by those things and identified by those things. Now these are all good. 
And I don't want, I don't want this to somehow come across as, as me saying you shouldn't be these things. But Paul's saying there's something greater. There's something greater than the things that identify us in this world. He says in 29, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And we're often given these identifiers by the world. And we tend to use those as describing our own worth. I'm a good person because I work hard. I'm a good person because I've raised productive children. I'm a good person because I keep my lawn mown. Whatever, whatever you want to say, right? And we want to equate our worth as a human being to the things like that. But Paul's telling there's something better than that. There's something better than just doing all those things. It's being an heir of the promise, being clothed in Jesus Christ. And I think in my own life, and I'm just speaking personally, that after that moment, after I read that prayer and I I was able to go through with my friend these steps, I think that I get to be the best version of me because of what Jesus did. I think I'm the most free version of myself because of what Jesus did, and I get to be the best father possible, not that I'm the best father, but I get to be the best version of me because of the freedom I have in Jesus Christ. And when you realize that, that freedom really is free, because it is, when you realize freedom really is free, then you get to start thinking about this list of words, that you are loved, that you are pursued, that you are cherished, chosen, that you are a child of God and an heir according to the promise. And those are big words. Those are, those are super important words. And it changes how you look at yourself, how you operate in this world. And Paul's talking about this, this idea of being an heir. And it's something we don't really get, right? In 21st century America, we don't, we don't have that. We literally, if you've ever watched Hamilton um, or listened to it, we know that we don't have this monarchy. We talk about heirs when it's someone's rich kid or something like that, right? That's an heir or an heiress, or if we're fawning over yet another beautiful UK um, baby or something like that, right? We don't get the idea, but heirship, um, as, I, as you know, Ben said earlier, we're, the reason we're thinking about finding your way back to God in this passage is because that's what that whole series was about, sonship, identity in Jesus Christ, and the heir had everything the Father gave him, right? The, the heir was what received everything of the fathers. And that's what Paul has just said. When you've walked through the waters of baptism, as we're about to have this morning, when you have stepped through that, you are an heir. You get all that. All right, so he goes a little farther um, in chapter 4. I'll go ahead and read these. In Galatians is too deep, really, to cover in six weeks all of it. We could talk about it six months and still have more to talk about. But let's read through these passages here, verses four, uh, chapter 4, 1 through 7, as he talks about what the heir, what it means to be an heir. Right, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time is set by his father. So also, when we were underage... We were in slavery under the elemental forces, spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, 
God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are son, his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, he has also made you an heir. You know, we really, we, we don't get this in the first century. This is not a concept that, that we really understand, this idea of, of heirship, you know, being an heir. Some, some translations might use a sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters of the king or something like that. But this idea of sonship is so important. Like, Wealthy people in the first century might pass their own daughter and, and give um, a nephew or something everything they had because that was the importance. So when he says, you've received sonship, that's for everyone as he identified Jew, Greek, male, female, slave and free. That means something super heavy. That means that you are special. He says, to receive adoption is to sonship because you are his sons. Don't miss the fact that this, this is an important thing, and it's for everyone who has chosen him. But today, we decide that we want to be individuals. Like that's, that's very American of us, right? To be individuals. A lot of other countries don't have this kind of written into their cultural DNA. Uh, but we want to be individuals. We want to go where we want to go. We want to say what we want to say. We want to do what we want to do until the police catch up to us, right? That's, that's usually the case. And you can use your speech, your attire, your home. You can use all these things to define who you are as an individual. But in this idea of sonship as being heirs according to the promise, uh, we see that there's something about us in our DNA that, that drives us towards community and being part of a group. And that group spreads all over the world. The service before you who sat in here, Everyone in the world who has chosen Jesus Christ, we're all sons and daughters. We are all one in community. And so as much as we would love to be an individual, um, science says otherwise. All right? So in his uh, book, Social, he's being interviewed about his book. Scientist Matthew Lieberman in 2013 said this about his book, Social. In the West, we like to think of ourselves as relatively immune to sway of those around us while each pursue our personal destiny. But I think this is a story that we like to tell ourselves rather than what really happens. Across many studies, mammals, from the smallest rodents all the way up to us humans, the data suggests that we are profoundly shaped by our social environment and that we suffer greatly when our social bonds are threatened or severed. When this happens in our childhood, it can lead to long-term health and educational problems, we may not like the fact that we are wired such that our well-being depends on our connection with others. But the facts are the facts. We are wired to be part of a group. And as Paul says, we have been called, if we have gone through those waters of baptism and chosen Jesus, we are all part of that sonship, the heir of the promise. So this community is built into our DNA. We want to deeply belong, and Paul is telling us in this passage that your identity as a child of Christ makes you an heir to the promise. That's not, that's not a small statement. That's a big statement. It's a promise that goes back 
thousands of years to Genesis chapter 12. That was given to Abraham. That was passed down through the years. Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. And now we get to be part of that. Now we get a new title, a better title, a child of God. When we walk through the waters of baptism, I'm excited. I love baptism. I'm excited for this. You're an heir. So here's the the point of it all. Quit striving. There's no list of things you can do to mark off. It might make you feel better temporarily. There's no list of things that you can do to mark off, to make yourself look right. It's done. Period. The work is done. When Jesus was on the cross and he said it is finished, he meant it. You are a child, you're an heir, you are loved. You know, so as I mentioned, um, I worked really hard for maybe 33 years or so to try to earn my approval, always falling short. I don't think I fell fell short of, of anyone, you know, in this room or anyone I knew, but I fell short personally of what I thought God wanted from me. I'd been baptized. I'd, I'd you know, been married, had kids. There were a lot of things that went well during that period, but I was kind of my own worst enemy. But here's what I'd love for you to take away, is that when you've chosen him, when you've gone through the steps to, to follow him, you said, Jesus, I'm yours. He really forgives you. He really forgives me. He really wants me and you. He really is proud of me and you. There's no two ways about it. He's genuinely proud of you as his child. There was one more prayer in this book that I'm going to read as we get close to communion. We're going to take communion in a moment. And I want to share it with you and, and maybe you can meditate on these words as I read them. But here's the deal. Uh, I think um, as the trays are passed, maybe for the first time in a long time, you can just reach out and accept that. Just reach out and accept the promise that's already been given. As Paul says, you're already heirs of the promise. You know, don't be the walking dead. Don't be the whisperers that decide they're going to Live a life other than the truth. Decide to be clothed in Christ. Accept the sonship, the heirship of the Father. Let's pray together. As the communion comes, you're welcome to take it or, or let it pass if you don't care to take it. All right, let's, let's pray together. Dear God, I've tried to fix and control my life's hurts, hang-ups, and habits all by myself. I admit that By myself, I am powerless to change. I need to begin to believe and receive your power to help me recover. You have loved me enough to send your son to the cross to die for my sins. Help me be open to the hope that I can only find in him. Please help me start living my life one day at a time. In Jesus' name. I pray. Amen.